All right, welcome to the Big Texas Podcast presented by Texas Young Republicans. I'm your host, Jordan Overturf, and my guest today is Chad Perda, the Republican candidate for Dallas County Sheriff, who is taking on incumbent Sheriff Marion Brown. Chad, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, my first question, as you look at all the news coming out of Dallas County today involving Shelley Luther, uh, the jail, everything going on there, what do you make of the coronavirus response there in Dallas County? Well, there's, there's been a lot of issues with the Dallas County response. Uh, as a county in a whole, I, I think the county commissioner, uh, Clay Jenkins, has really overstepped his bounds. Um, he's shown several examples to the point that the other commissioners had to step in and slow him down. So it really should be eye-opening for Dallas County. Now, in particular to my race, the sheriff has shown a complete lack of understanding of what the office of sheriff holds and what she should do. Uh, I, I think all around the voters in Dallas County should really take this COVID-19 response and really take a deep look at their politicians and who is running this city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, it's really interesting to watch their response, especially uh, it seems at odds with some of the policies that have been proposed in Dallas uh, in the recent years, especially related to low-level uh, theft crimes and things like that. Uh, Sheriff Brown seems like she's uh, in lockstep with the local Democratic leadership there. Is that what you're uh, you're seeing there on the ground? Well, she is. Um, with the $750 theft, uh, the not prosecuting first offense marijuana, and that first offense has to occur after January 12, 2020. So all other offenses were kind of given a wash. Um, and then low-level felonies were also included in that. Uh, usable amounts of narcotics are no longer con- considered by the district attorney. And the current sheriff has fallen in rank and file and is backing that, even though it is completely against our oath as law enforcement. So uh, for those who don't know much about you, Chad, can you just give us a quick rundown on your background and experience? Okay. Um, 16 years ago, I started with the Dallas County Sheriff's Department. Um, I started as a clerk and I progressed through the ranks. I made it to detention service officer. Uh, While in the jails, I was an SRT team leader. Uh, I passed on the rank of sergeant and I decided to go out onto the street um, after the deputy academy. I went into warrant execution and joined the uh, the SWAT team. I became lead sniper and firearm instructor for the uh, Dallas County Sheriff SWAT team. After that, I progressed into the intel side of or the detective side of things in law enforcement. Uh, just after eight years, you want to change, and so I moved in to be a detective, where I specialized as a homicide detective and child crime. Um, I'm also a expert in mobile forensics, and I am the technical editor for mobile forensics uh, textbooks that are printed across the nation. So how would you describe uh, Sheriff Brown's leadership in contrast to previous sheriffs that you've served under? So hers has got to be woefully underprepared. Um, even within the department, we did not realize the level of unpreparedness she had. When she took office, there was many of us that were hopeful. And what we're seeing now is a sheriff that does not understand the scope of the office and the scope of the department. 
So can you uh, get elaborate that? Uh, in what specific instances do you feel that she uh, is unprepared? And is it just specific for the coronavirus response or are these other generic uh, responsibilities that you feel like she's unprepared for? Um, it's The coronavirus response really highlighted it, but this started long before that. Um, in one of the recent lawsuits filed against the sheriff, uh, jailers actually testified that they were afraid of retaliation. She's running the department on fear and retaliation. If, a, if an officer or an employee speaks up, they terminate them. She has created this low morale and an exodus within the department based on her leadership skills. Now, the coronavirus uh, response really highlights that. When the first case was reported in the jail, she did not follow proper protocol. Rather than lock down the tank, and secure the individuals that tested positive, allowing them to go to single cells. She waited three days, took four inmates, one inmate tested positive, four of them were asymptomatic. She transferred those inmates to different locations within the jail. Three days after that, she had the tank decontaminated and then transferred every inmate from that tank to other locations in the jail. Those actions caused the spread of the coronavirus within the jail. Her actions after that showed a true lack of leadership. Uh, when it was asked if she had plenty of PPE for the officers and the inmates within her care, she said yes, when in fact she did not. Uh, she turned down donations of masks when employees did not have them, when inmates didn't have them. It took a lawsuit getting filed to force her to give the inmates proper PPE. Her leadership, her lack of understanding of protocol, and her lack of understanding how a sheriff should operate caused the Dallas County Jail to be the highest count of positive COVID cases in Texas for many days. Uh, we were finally surpassed by Houston, which sadly I hope Houston passes us. They have so many more inmates than we do. It only makes sense. But for the longest time, Dallas County was leading the charge in positive cases because of her lack of leadership. And you tried to help out uh, with regard to getting more PPE to the department. Is that true? I did on two separate occasions. Well, actually, it turned out to be three. On the first occasion, I reached out to the sheriff and offered 9,000 masks. Uh, she declined, stating they had plenty. Um, on another occasion, I offered a pallet of N95 masks, and I'm not even sure how many fit on a pallet, but it's over 10,000. And she declined that as well. I even offered to take my campaign completely out of it and let her have sole control over it. But since they came from me, she said no. Uh, ultimately, we went to the jail ourselves, and I stood in the parking lot and hand-delivered them to the jailers. When we asked if I could give the jailers boxes of masks, to take in to give to inmates and to pass out to other ships, those jailers were told they would be written up and sent to internal affairs if they did that. So we went back on midnight to cover the other ship. And that's uh, that's surprising considering, it, you know, you already mentioned the increase in cases, uh, you know, it previously being the highest in the state. But then some of the reporting that I've read around this scenario also said that uh, the jailers themselves were told not to wear PPE early on in the response because it might uh, spook some uh, of the the inmates there. You know, uh, what kind of leadership style allows for 
you know, their employees or their subordinates in this case uh, to feel that way. And how do you feel this should be rectified? Sheriff Brown's leadership style is she views employees as expendable. And that has been proven. That's not just a catchphrase. She's proven it over the years. When employees started to test positive, she told them don't wear masks. We wouldn't want to arise suspicion with the inmates. She didn't give the inmates masks. When an employee was put on quarantine, she did not notify the rest of the shift that one of their officers was placed on quarantine if she even notified that officer. Many officers found out they were exposed by watching media reports. She truly does not care about her employees. The only way to rectify that is to place someone in that position that understands your oath is to protect your employees, the citizens, and the inmates within your charge. Those inmates could not leave their tank. They're confined there. They have to be there. The only person that could leave are the jailers. Why she did not order the jailers to wear masks in the beginning, I don't know. But the only thing that it can explain it is she views employees as expendable. So let's go ahead and fast forward here to November, you know, or even take the hypothetical. You are elected Dallas County Sheriff. Uh, what are the first changes that you think need to be made within the department? So right now, the biggest changes that I'm going to address are going to be morale. I cannot stop a sinking ship without plugging the holes. There is a exodus within the department. We have the highest attrition rate we've ever had. Uh, nationwide, there is a problem getting law enforcement to come on to law enforcement jobs. Uh, just the way the culture is shifting, we have less candidates than we did before. So we should value the officers that we have. I'm going to address morale first. And it's going to be through things, I've jokingly said it, but I'm serious. We're changing our tattoo and our beard policy. I'm going to allow these. I'm going to allow some uh, personal expression through tattoos. Little small changes that will be drastic throughout the department. It will also allow us to operate and request military personnel. When, uh, what's the first thing someone does from the military? They grow a beard. Well, that exempts them from law enforcement. So I'm going to open up that avenue. Many college students now, they have beards, they have tattoos. It's not a mistake. It's an art form. And we're going to now tap into that resource. So after we fix morale, I'm going to address pay. Many of the officers in the department are not paid what they should based on their time. Our pay is set based off of time and service. Many officers are underpaid by five years. So I'm going to put all of the officers where they should be on that pay and level the playing field. Then I can start working on getting more personnel. Right now, they are requiring officers 20 to 30 per shift per day. That's three shifts. Every day, 20 to 30 officers are required to stay over and work, work overtime. They're not allowed to go home to their families. The only way to fix that is to get more personnel. So I'm going to open up a lateral program that will allow officers from other departments to transfer in and keep their time. It works out for the agency because I get well-trained officers with a history in the work environment that I know are safe, that I know they're good. I don't have to take a chance. And I can put them right back on the street. We have to do something to get officers to come to our department. Lateral program will help. Getting bodies in the seats and fixing morale are going to be of the utmost importance. 
No, I don't think then, any, I don't think anyone's going to disagree with you uh, that improving morale through uh, pay, allowing allowing free personal expression, be it growing a beard, having tattoos, things like that. Uh, everyone's on board that that's a great idea. But as we look at this coronavirus response, obviously the economy has been uh, devastated by all the shutdowns, and we'll get to uh, that more here in a second. But I, I have to ask the question uh, as a fiscally responsible conservative, how are you going to be able to make this possible with some of the uh, financial constraints that are going to be down this uh, down the road for Texans? Currently, the sheriff's department budget is one of the highest in Dallas County. I will state it on record right now. I will not ask for another dime in my budget. What it's going to come down to is budgeting. Under the current administration, they redid the head office kitchen three times in five years. It's expenditures like that that need to go. What I'm going to do is take a very in-depth look at where our money is going within the department, what what areas can be cut, and what areas need to be bolstered. I'm not going to ask for extra tax money. For one, I know I'm going a Republican candidate against a highly Democratic commissioner's board. I don't want to put myself in a position where party lines have to be crossed for them to be on my side. All I'm going to ask for is the exact same budget we had the last year. I'm going to take care of moving funds around to make sure my officers get paid. Uh, that's a that's an amazing commitment to make to your officers. And certainly, you know, we hope that the budget allows for you to maintain that even level funding, uh, even as the conversation begins about many departments having to slash their budgets. Uh, I interrupted you there uh, in the middle of your train of thought in terms of some of the other things that you would implement uh, as the sheriff. So uh, can you bring us back on that train of thought of some of the other policies that you think would help uh, improve morale or improve efficacy uh, of your officers? The big, the big push right now is morale, but even above that is public appearance. Uh, it's time law enforcement came out of the dark ages. What I'm going to do is take all of the major media groups. I'm going to tell them to give me two reporters, and I'm going to give them access to my department. They'll have their own IDs. They'll be able to come and go as they please. Not all areas. There are going to be restricted areas. However, media will have access to them. They will have a chief that they can have direct contact to to get answers. We will start releasing body camera footage, uh, arrest statistics monthly. Our website will start to be populated with what the law enforcement, what the sheriff's department is actually doing during that month. I'm going to invite community leaders in. Uh, Several community leaders within the area have expressed concern as far as rehabilitation programs. I'm going to invite them in, give them a day room and let them come in and have their programs within my jail. Any inmate that wishes to attend can go. On top of that, I don't agree with the VA's catch and release policy. Uh, $750 staff is just released. It's not prosecuted. Uh, minor drugs. It's, there's nothing that, nothing should be done like that. What I'm going to do is implement a program called a Fresh Start Program. And what it's going to take is across the board, I'm going to look at every case. And if it's, say it's a case that we pick up and it's a minor drug offense, no nonviolent offender, never really been in trouble or has perpetually been in trouble with drugs. I'm going to put them in my program. They come to my classes twice a month for six months. At the end of that program, where they are taught how to fill out a resume, how to act in a job setting, how to talk, how to dress. What is acceptable in social behaviors? 
they will be allowed to apply for several jobs. And these are trade jobs, auto body, uh, chef. There's several businesses downtown that want to have chefs to give them a second chance. Now we're going to give these individuals the tools that they need to provide for their family. They won't have to steal. And we give them the tools that they can move on and progress out of the system. If we continually to arrest the same people and nothing changes, that's the problem. So if we give them tools to get out of poverty and to get out of the system, they'll be able to get out. After, say someone steals $1,200 worth of clothing and food, for the first six months of that job, they will pay back the person they stole. They will pay back their restitution. Once it's done, that case is dropped. It's never held against them. It's never put on their file. If they don't complete the program, that case is then prosecuted. You can only allow someone to better themselves if they want to. If they complete the program, it goes away forever. It's never, never prosecuted. We have to start reforming. We have to start somewhere. We should start at the county level. And if we have the tools, let's do it. Now, do you have the uh, authority to do that within the judicial system? Are there already programs in place that allow for uh, anyone who gets into this kind of trouble to have that record expunged uh, upon completion of a program? So the, having a record expunged is something a little different. Um, and working with different judges, that will later come into play. What I'm talking about are first-run cases. Law enforcement does have the right to not file a case. And that's where we're going to be working on. Um, the easiest example of that is for uh, confidential informants. Confidential informants often work off their charges. And that's basically what these individuals will be doing. They will be working for the department to better themselves. And if they complete the program, then it goes through. And that case is not filed. Well, that certainly sounds like uh, the type of criminal justice reform that we're looking for, you know, that rehabilitative effort to uh, restore the value within someone and give them that purpose and adding the skills and giving them a pipeline to those jobs uh, is a crucial piece to the program. So uh, I'm excited to hear about that. And I certainly hope voters want to hear you talk about that much more down the line. I guess as you get back into the campaign mode, as things begin to open up again, where are you focusing your efforts and what are the issues that you are talking to voters most about? Right now we are focusing on social media and large scale venues. Uh, Once everything opens back up, one of the things I really enjoyed prior to COVID um, was neighborhood block parties. We would go to the neighborhood and I would host a block party hot dogs, hamburgers, bring everybody, anybody's welcome, come up. We had a wonderful time. We're going to continue to do things like that. My campaign is really targeted to get back into the community. Uh, I'm not going to do the traditional politics run because I don't think it's not what the community needs. If I'm going to be sheriff, I need to know what the community wants. So we are really targeting community level events and community interactions. Now, talking with the community, um, it's good that you brought it up because outside of the current case, on the 5th, many people do not realize Dallas County commissioners voted a resolution in that. Now, this resolution has no legal bounds, but that resolution is urging people to use mail-in ballots. And... The detective in me says, why would anyone urge someone to utilize a system that is 
most prevalent for fraud. And why was it slipped in on the fifth underneath the uh, national news making trial? So one of the things we are pushing for in my campaign is voter fraud. I want to make sure both sides, Democrat and Republican, when they cast their vote, they know it counts. They know it goes through, they know it's legit, and they know it's not going to be manipulated. Um, it, it's something near and dear to my heart. That is the responsibility of the sheriff. And that is something that, again, the sitting sheriff is lacking. She is not doing it. So we are really pushing for voter reform. I want both parties to know when they cast a ballot, it's safe. And I know that the uh, Texas Public Policy Foundation has made voter integrity a major part of uh, their efforts this cycle. Uh, and they've been looking into that issue uh, in particular, especially with some of the cases we've seen since 2016 along the border and things like that. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think we are going to have to be vigilant. And we've talked about it on the RPT podcast as well about how Democrats are trying to use the courts and this uh, chaotic time to completely upend our electoral process. Um, I, I want to go back to one uh, note that you mentioned though earlier about, you know, having the conversation with the community and knowing what the community wants. When it comes to Shelley Luther, clearly a lot of people in Texas spoke up about this case, about how this progressed. And obviously, you know, Mrs. Luther was doing a lot to make sure she got that attention, right? Her, she was shining a light on what she was trying to do. There's no denial there. But at the end of the day, when you look at, at what businesses are going through at this time, where do you stand when you look at her case? Do you think she has a valid point? And as Dallas County Sheriff, what would you do if put into that position? So... I wholeheartedly believe she has a point. Uh, I wouldn't be standing where I'm standing if I did not champion for people to stand up for what they believe in. Now, with her case, there is a little confusion. She was not arrested for opening her salon. She was arrested for violation of a restraining order, which is a manipulation of the governor's order. As sheriff, I would not have placed her into custody. Now, I would have arrested her for that restraining order, and I would have promptly let her out of the jail. And I would have explained it to the judge. You are issuing this warrant based on public safety, and you are requiring that low-level offenses be released from the jail. And yet, for political matters, you want to put this individual in jail for trying to feed her family. Even though they obtained a restraining order, it doesn't make it constitutionally sound. And we're going to find the the outcome of that shortly with the writ of mandamus, I'm mean, not the writ of mandamus, the writ of habeas corpus that was filed with the Texas Supreme court, they're going to evaluate whether or not it was constitutional. And I believe they're going to find it with an unconstitutional order. She will be completely exonerated for that. The sheriff's first responsibility is to the constitution of this United States. And that's what is lacking as sheriff. I would not have arrested her for violating. I would have showed up at her place and I would have said, hey, make sure you're exercising, you know, social distancing, sanitary, re sanitary procedures, and be responsible. It is not law enforcement's job to go through and be a dictator. 
it is the sheriff's job to uphold constitutional rights. She has a constitutional right to feed her family. Well, now, and more and more law enforcement are being put in a tough position by their local leadership. Right. And we certainly saw it uh, as the rise of Beto and his, uh, you know, take back fever, you know, telling telling Americans that he's going to come for the AR-15s. Uh, and now as Biden ascends as the nominee, you know, he's already said he's going to put Beto in charge of, of these types of policies. So I, I got to ask you, as someone who is in law enforcement and is looking to lead a law enforcement agency, how how do you balance that and ultimately what is going to be the deciding factor on what you enforce and what you uh order your deputies to enforce well it, and it's not a balancing act it, it truly isn't uh i don't care if the president of the united states comes down and tells me to go through and confiscate guns i will tell him no my deputies if elected and my office will uphold the constitution without a doubt. And that's it. We will uphold the constitution and the laws of the state. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. When a constitutional amendment is changed, then we'll talk. But as long as that second amendment is sitting there, I will not allow federal forces to come in and take any guns from any citizens within Dallas County. Uh, yeah, and it's not just the gun issue, sanctuary cities, obviously, uh, but there also are unfunded mandates and things like that that come down from the state and put uh, a lot of burden on those agencies. So from the administrative side of things, uh, how do you do that balancing act? Again, as we come back to, to the fiscal struggles that are, are down the road for us. Right now, the, um, the physical burdens like the administrative side of federal funding. Right now, it's on the side of constitutionalism. Uh, if you're a sanctuary city, you're, you are eliminated from certain federal funding. That's why Dallas is a welcoming city and not a sanctuary city. They want to, the political bodies in power want to appear to be with the agenda, but they still want the federal money. If it is changed where now federal funding says if you're not a sanctuary city, or if you do not go by these rules, we will cut funding. Then I will start looking elsewhere for funding. So, yeah, but going back to, uh, let, let's bring it back to uh, the election and the campaign and things like that. Uh, first and foremost, as, as you look at this response, for you personally, uh, do you think Republicans or Democrats have managed this better? With the COVID-19 response, I think what it, we need to look at is not Republican or Democrat. Um, two prime examples of that. Look at the Democratic handling in Dallas County. It is atrocious. It's far overreaching. And it has, we, we won't see the true ramifications of this for another two years. Once all of this lifts up, we will then be able to see who's going to get evicted from their home. How many people are going to be put on the street? We won't know until... The governor's order is lifted and evictions can go back into place. Landlords can start reclaiming money. But we still have to learn just how bad Dallas County has been put in a position. On the same hand, there's a Republican governor and sheriff in Florida that arrested a preacher for holding church. So we've had both parties misutilize what has taken place. 
What I think we need to look at are which politicians have used this for personal and political gains and which politicians have actually done their job and stood up for the citizens. And that's what we need to start looking at. And we need to take a deep look at that in Texas. We need to look and see which politicians stuck to their oath and stood up for the citizens and represented their constituents and which politicians just did it for political gains. Well, and to that end, you're one of those down ballot warriors who's going to have to make sure that you you really fight to get some attention and make sure uh, as we see the first election without straight ticket voting to make sure that voters go all the way down the ballot, make sure they take care of uh, the races for sheriff all the way down to uh, JPs. And we've certainly seen that some uh, JPs have gotten out of the bounds, uh, especially for folks who aren't. trained in law enforcement or the courts or any of these systems. So uh, clearly voters need to educate themselves on the candidates and make sure that they are informed before they head to the ballot box. Uh, Chad, as we wrap up here, my final question for you, what is the message uh, to Dallas County voters and why should they vote for Jad Perda? Well, my message would be vote for someone that is going to stand up for your constitution and stand up for you. Look at the sitting politicians. Look at the individuals running against them. And you need to find someone that will stop running for politics and start running for it's the right thing to do. We need to stop putting politicians in these jobs, and we need to put people that can do those jobs. I don't know how to be a politician. I'm not good at it. But I'm very good at being an officer, and I'm very good at standing up for the Constitution. And I believe that's what's going to set me aside. Excellent. Well, Chad, for those who want to get involved and be a part of your campaign, help with the outreach, either via social distancing or going out uh, and being part of these block parties, uh, hopefully you can bring those back again. Where do they find you? Where do they find your campaign? They can look at PRDA, the number four sheriff, heard of four sheriff. And that's on my website, my email address, social media, everything is the exact same. PRDA four sheriff. It is me. Excellent. Well, Jad, I hope we can bring you back on before November uh, so we can talk a little bit more about your race. Some of the other down ballot warriors there in Dallas County, you maybe want to show some love to. So uh, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, It's a crazy time. Uh, Any coronavirus uh, quarantine tips for our young Republicans who may be watching this? Wash your hands a lot. Stock up on Netflix. Try not to go crazy. (laughs) Perfect. Well, we'll see you down the road, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right, Chad, thank you again for joining us. Thank you to you for tuning in and watching this on Facebook, YouTube, or listening on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get this podcast. We truly appreciate it. We've got more guests coming, a lot of big interviews that we are trying to get locked in, lined up for you to continue to enjoy as we make our way through the rest of this coronavirus response. Uh, To all those who have been taking part and joining on the Texas YR Facebook and Instagram and Twitter feeds, we really do appreciate it. Appreciate that engagement. Make sure you follow us again, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Texas YRs. You can follow the podcast at Big Texas Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And make sure you get signed up for the latest alerts. We've got a lot of deployments, uh, trainings, all kinds of stuff going on uh, as we get ready for November 2020 and keeping Texas red. Make sure you go make sure you go to Texas YR. Friends, thank you again. I cannot say it enough. I appreciate every one of you for tuning in, listening, sending us your candidates. Until next time, 
We'll see you down the road.